pray this is a blessing to you. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday at the wedding, and he was asking me what I had prepared for this morning's sermon service, and I told him I'm still working on it. And he got up early this morning and got to the church and kind of finished things up, which is very not normal for me. I'm a hopefully be done by Thursday or Friday kind of guy, but uh, this week was a little bit unique. But he said to me, he said, well, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, I'm preaching on John 11. And he said, well, I've never heard a message on Easter out of John 11. And I was like, oh, my, oh boy, that's not good. So um, I said, well, you know something, come to church tomorrow and you'll hear one and you'll never be able to say that again. So we're going to go in John 11 and try to try to... Uh, I try to see God's message in it because it's really, I'm not, I'm not, my goal this morning is not to pull something out that's not there, but really just to expose maybe some truths that will help you um, grow in your, go, grow in your, grow in your Christian life and your walk with the Lord. That's what our, my goal is this morning. So um, bear with me and join me as well. This day is Easter. We've come together to celebrate every year at the beginning of April. We come together and we celebrate um, what some refer to as Resurrection Sunday, what others refer to as Easter Sunday. In 2010, research was done comparing the spending of all of the holidays. Easter checked in at number five. $14 billion are spent, which is 2% over 2009, spent over the Easter holidays. The number one expense over Easter is the purchase of chocolate bunnies. Anybody, anybody like those chocolate bunnies? Number one expense, I didn't get details on how much of that is, but the number one expense over the Easter holiday is chocolate bunnies. The number two expense, this might touch others' hearts, is those marshmallow, those little marshmallow uh, little ducks or whatever they are. Yeah, those things. What are they called? Peeps. There they are. That was the number two thing. So all these healthy things for us are the, are the first and the second um, highest spending for the Easter holiday. In 2010, when this research was done, there were, 3, 000, there were 310 million people in the United States of America, which means that every individual approximately spent $45 to celebrate Easter. I just wrote, that's a lot of chocolate bunnies and a lot of marshmallow peeps, right? It's a lot of celebrating, isn't it? 45, when we think about that, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you talk about babies and people who don't have money and um, start to, to, to figure out how much that adds up to, uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty significant amount of money that is spent on, on uh, this, this holiday season. Uh, Easter Bunny, all of that other stuff that takes place during this season. As noted, as noted by the research that I just mentioned, for many, Easter is a day in which they eat a lot of chocolate bunnies and marshmallow ducks, and they um, celebrate a um, they celebrate a bunny, a rabbit, that um, is kind of the focus of their of their season. For us, it's not that way. I pray that for you this morning, that your uh, reason for celebrating Easter is not to celebrate a, a, an Easter bunny, um, but that it's deeper than that. That there's more to it. It's easy to take Easter lightly with bunnies, chocolates, eggs, and many other sweet treats. But it was not so for a small and significant family in a small town called Bethany, located just outside of Jerusalem. You see, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus 
had come face to face with death. Jesus is going to tell them and show them that their only hope in that moment is the resurrection. Takes on a whole different meaning. Takes on a whole different focus when you look at it from the perspective of somebody else. Jesus gives us this story. He's going to tell us, he's going to unfold for us the story of a man named Lazarus and his family and how that the resurrection was going to be their only hope. My question to you this morning and what I will attempt to unfold for you from this book is what does Easter mean to you? What does Easter mean to you? So if you would follow along with me, we'll read verse 1 and we'll read uh, quite a bit of the, of the chapter and um, seek to draw a few truths out of it. The Bible says in verse number 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, vill the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was a Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her tears whose brother Lazarus was ill. So his sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Let me just stop for a moment. And I just want you to meditate on the phrase there. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So he stayed two days longer where he was. Just meditate on that for a moment. Lazarus is dying. The likelihood of him living a day longer was, was in doubt. Yet, when Mary and Martha come to him or send messengers to him of Lazarus' condition, Jesus stays two, day long, two days longer. And the reason Jesus does this is because when you go back to the first few verses, it says this is not going to lead to death, but this is for the glory of God. You see, Jesus' focus in this moment and in this phrase is not on Lazarus dying. His focus is on glorifying God, the Father. His fo focus is on displaying something about himself that will be helpful to every one of those people that is there. He says in verse number 7, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered them, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he, is, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Notice Jesus Christ's phraseology or the terms that he uses here. He says of Lazarus that he's fallen asleep. Jesus is not confused about Lazarus' condition here. He's not mistaken. He's not stating something that's not true. What Jesus Christ is stating is a spiritual truth. Jesus Christ is stating the reality for a believer who dies is that he's just asleep. It's different than 
It's different than the death that we think of. And even that the disciples here, or not the disciples, but her, the family here thinks of when they think of being asleep. Because their response is, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's asleep, he will recover. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they that he meant, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. It's interesting as well, as you think about that simple part of the story, that that's the way we all are, isn't it? Isn't it true that as followers of Jesus, if, if we can figure it out on our own, we, we don't really need to lean on the Lord? You just think about that statement in this simple, if he's just asleep, he'll get better, Lord. He doesn't need your help. If, he, if he's just weary, he doesn't need your help, Lord. If, he, if he's just weak, if he's just struggling, he doesn't really need your help, Lord. What the Lord has to do with his disciples is he has to make sure that they are aware that his situation, that Lazarus' situation is beyond human fixing before they will believe that Jesus Christ is necessary in the moment to fix. And I will submit to you that that's where many of us live today. We live in the realm that as long as we can fix it, as long as we can do something to make it better, we don't need Jesus. So what he's telling his disciples here. So what he's saying to them. Lord, if he's, if he's asleep, he'll, he'll get better naturally. He, he can take care of himself. There's, there's doctors, there's medicine, there's all of these things. They'll, they'll make him better. He, we don't, you don't need to go to this situation. This circumstance is not big enough for you to be involved in. No, every circumstance Jesus must be involved in. Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem that we face in this world. Not just to one problem, but to all problems. The Bible says as he goes on, and Jesus told them plainly, he told them with plain words, Lazarus has died. Doesn't get any plainer than that, does it? Any questions on the disciples' part about what Lazarus' condition was at this moment is that his condition was hopeless and helpless. Amen? We need to be in that condition sometimes for the Lord to work. The Bible says, and for your sake, another one of these phenomenal statements that only can be dealt with as we think of the glory of God over the condition of Lazarus. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What extraordinary faith, right? Let us also go that we might die with him. Verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console her concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What a phenomenal statement. Your brother will rise again. Martha, in her religiosity, 
in her having all of the answers and knowing her Bible front and back, seeks to correct the Lord, right? Amen? The Lord didn't have it right. He, he had it wrong, so Martha's going to correct the Lord. She says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. And then he says this simple statement, do you believe this? She says to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I believe in this statement, Martha is somewhat confused, somewhat unsure of stating fact versus knowing in her heart that these things are true, knowing in her head something but not knowing in her heart. And the reason why I say that is because after making this simple statement, first she seems very confused, and then she makes a statement that seems very sound, and then she runs, literally. She says, when he had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. Hey, Mary, Mary, come and, come and help me out here. She's not getting it. Saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoled her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? One of the things that I noticed throughout this entire narrative is how many times Jesus is blamed. He's blamed twice, one by time by Mary, one time by Martha for not, for not being there early enough to heal the man. Now he's blamed by the Jews because they said, hey, he's healed the blind people. Why couldn't he have been here in advance to heal Lazarus? The answer was given in the first phrase because he was doing it. It was all about what? It was all about the glory of God. It was all about the glory of God. Then Jesus, the Bible says, deeply moved again. And I want you to notice this, the deeply moved twice he says it here. It's not, and, and even Jesus saying weeping. This is not a weeping over Lazarus being dead. This is not Jesus being moved because Lazarus is in the grave. Jesus already had that figured out. Jesus was weeping because the people wouldn't believe. The people, his, his very close friends and Mary and Martha and the disciples and all of the people in this narrative, they didn't believe. That's why Jesus wept. Here are his close friends. They don't believe him. They don't believe in him. And by not believing in him, they don't get to benefit from what he, is going, what he can bring them. Imagine if you were going to give your kids something very special to bless them, but they refuse to believe you and they refuse to receive that great blessing. It would bring, it would bring hurt to your heart. 
that they wouldn't receive what you were offering them because you knew that what you were offering them was, was so important to them having it. But because they don't believe you or don't trust you, they refuse to receive what you're offering them. This is the heart of Jesus here. The heart of Jesus is he is moved in his heart because he is giving, he is offering them a great gift, the gift of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. He is offering it to them, but they will not believe. Oh, the heart of our Lord, when we don't receive what he's given to us, what he's giving to us daily, it, it, it burdens him, his love for us. The Bible says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, let me just clarify, he was dead. Jesus wanted to make sure that we knew that. Jesus, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, and he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Wow. What a statement. If you would just believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. They like the obedience, right? Not sure. Hey, it's going to stink when we open this up. But maybe we get to see the glory of God when we do it. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Wow. Lazarus, three, three words. The guy is dead in the grave and he stinks. Three words and he walks out. Wow. The man who had died, he says, came out. Isn't that crazy? The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Man, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ has come to set us free, to set us free from ourselves, to set us free from our sins. Jesus Christ has come to set us free. I've taken much time of walking through this. I want to give you four thoughts and within them some additional things. I want to be, I want to be long. I might be, but I don't want to be. Is that okay? If I don't want to be, does that, does that make up for if I actually do? Oh, preacher's famous last word is I don't want to be long. <laughs> or this is my last point, or whatever. So walk with me through this. I think these are some important truths. Number one, why is the resurrection story so important? Why is the resurrection story so important? For Lazarus, listen to me, the reason why America celebrates Easter the way that we do is because we don't recognize how significant death is. 
We don't get it. We don't see the weight of Easter to the reality of dying. We're a culture that teaches at some point in time, they're going to come up with some kind of solution that's going to make people live forever. We believe that there's going to be forever life for people at some point, and people live each day waiting for that miracle to happen so that they can have forever life. And I use the term forever life for a reason, because Jesus Christ is offering you eternal life, not forever life. The resurrection is not about living forever in this world. It's about living forever with our God. It's about dying, yes, physically dying, your body going into the grave, but it coming back out again, and you then living forever. That's not forever life. That is eternal life. The reason the resurrection has take on, taken on such an insignificant an insignificance in the world that we live in today that we can celebrate it by celebrating an Easter with chocolates and candy is because we don't understand the imminence of death. If we're going to re-embrace what, what the Easter story really means, we're going to have to become very familiar with what death really looks like. In the same way that Martha and Mary and Lazarus knew what Easter was all about because they were in the moment when Easter was most significant we must become, we must come face to face with the idea, with the truth of death in order for us to be sobered up as a people and realize that the resurrection, my friend, is your only hope. The resurrection is your only hope. The Bible says this in Hebrews 9.27 it is appointed unto men once to die. Every man. There is an appointment for every man. Every man. This is, this is a truth that every single one of us sees happening every day of our lives. If we question all of the rest of the Bible, this truth right here is clear. Every man dies. And when a man dies, he stands before his Creator. He stands before the one who is holy and just. He stands before the one who created him and gave him all things necessary for life, and he destroyed it. Man destroyed it. We must come face to face with the reality of death if we are going to appreciate properly the reality of the resurrection. Easter will never mean the same thing to you again if you walk in Lazarus' shoes for five minutes. Not only is it when we come face to face with the resurrection, with death, but it's when we realize that following death, we face God. The resurrection is important when you realize what follows death. When we don't just die, we go somewhere and we spend forever there. Number two, who is the resurrection story for? Who is the resurrection story for? Let me submit this to you. The narrative of John 11 is not for Lazarus. And we often read it as if it's meant for Lazarus. Lazarus is a character in the story. But if you listened as I read, the story in John 11 was not for Lazarus. The story in John 11 was for all of the people around Lazarus. 
It was for Mary and Martha. It was for the disciples. It was for the Jews. It was for everybody watching the events. That's who the story was for. They needed to see, listen, they needed to see Jesus perform a miracle that was beyond all other miracles so that they would believe that Jesus Christ was capable of performing the greatest miracle of saving their wretched souls. They needed to see that to believe. I think sometimes we need to see a miracle of God and, and we need to see him in action. We need to see him saving souls. We need to see him performing resurrection power, not maybe in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, taking somebody who is dead spiritually and making them alive, taking somebody who is, who is wretched and, and sinful and condemned and making them forgiven and, and justified and, and giving them eternal life and new hope. We need to experience that. I tell you, the, the, the interesting thing about this whole narrative is that Jesus tells these, these people this so that they will believe and trust in, for their own lives as they live. They're not even in this process dying, but that they might live in light of the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The story is not meant for Lazarus. It's meant for the people. It's meant for you and me because we need to see Christ's resurrection power in order to believe that he is powerful enough to resurrect us in the end. Let me give you some people that this is meant for. This is all in the narrative. Write it down if you're taking notes. Number one is it's meant for the unwanted, the unloved, the undesirable, and the unrighteous. Jesus Christ points out in the first few verses of John 11 that this woman Mary was a prostitute. This woman Mary was... In, was possessed with seven demons. She was the same woman, the Bible says, that he makes it clear in the first few verses of this text how this woman was the same woman who anointed Jesus Christ's feet in Luke chapter number 7 and that he forgave her for her sins and the self-righteous Pharisee condemned Jesus for forgiving the unloved woman. This story is for people who have been rejected. This, poor, this story is for people who are outcasts. This story is for people who are unloved and unwanted. People who see their lives as being, uh, as being on, the, on the outside looking in. This is meant for those people. Why? Because Jesus Christ is, is capable of making them accepted. Jesus Christ is capable of accepting them and bringing them into the family. Jesus Christ is able to take a prostitute and bring forgiveness to her. To take a woman possessed with seven devils and cast them out and make her a, a part of the family. I love the fact that he says in the first verses, he brings out the fact, this is the same woman that anointed me with oil, which was to point us to her sinfulness. And then a few verses later it says, this is the woman that I love. Oh man, what a transformation she went through. Jesus is capable of taking those who have gone as far away from him as they possibly can, living in the deepest and darkest of sins. Jesus Christ is capable of taking his enemies and making them his friends. That's the resurrection power of Christ. He is able to do the impossible. He is able to create within us the, the, the unbelievable. This story is for somebody who is, who is not accepted, who is on the outside. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, both 6 and 8 say the same things, that when we were without strength and when we were still in our sins, 
What did Jesus Christ do for us? He died for us. Not when we were righteous, not when we were good, but when we were just like this prostitute, when we were just like this woman possessed with devils, when we were, when we were in the same condition spiritually, Jesus Christ came in and he saved us. That's a miracle, right? Is that a big enough miracle? I think it is. The second group of people that he came for in this story is the worried people. Mary and Martha come to Jesus and they're all concerned. Lazarus is sick. He's almost going to die. We all experience that on a daily basis, right? Illness makes us worry. Finances make us worry. Hurt make us worry. Struggles make us worry. We're a people that are prone to worry, right? Listen to me, folks. The resurrection takes our worries and dissipates them. There's nothing that can affect you if you believe in the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of you. Matter of fact, when Mary and Martha come to him and they're all concerned, Jesus' response to him is, this is bigger. This is bigger. This is purposeful. This is not without meaning. I'm glorifying God, the Father, through this and displaying my miracle-working power. Just a few chapters before, Jesus heals a blind man, a young blind man, and everybody's all confused and worried as to how, why was this blind man, why was he blind? Why was he blind? The Lord says to him, he wasn't blind because of his sins, he wasn't blind because of his parents' sins, but he was blind for the glory of God. And I love his response when they all come and they try to question him and their intellectual ways of trying to catch him in his situation. And, and this guy is just like Mr. Mr. Average, right? I love Mr. Average. I think I'm Mr. Average. He's like, listen, guys, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Man, that's an explanation that I can handle, right? That's what Jesus can do. He can, I, you might not be able to explain it, you, not be, you might not be able to philosophize about it, but I listen to me. I was blind, and now I see, and that's a miracle. Jesus Christ is here for the worried. He's here for the rejected. Number three, he's here for the fearful. The disciples come to him. Jesus says, let's go to Judea. The disciples come and say, Lord, we've been there already. They want to kill you. Right? Do you know what Jesus' response to them is? It's very simple. Hey, guys, are there not 12 hours in the day? It's like, what does that mean, Pastor John? It's a simple statement of sovereignty. Do you know something? Jesus is saying, my life has years established, and no one's going to change that. That's what he was saying. You can't change it. My number of years has been set by God. My day has come. That's why the Bible says over and over again about Jesus that his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. It's set. It's in stone. The Old Testament tells us that our days have already been numbered. They've been written in a book. And Jesus says to them, when they're all fearful and worried, oh, we're going to go into a dangerous place. Jesus is like, hey, guys, there's still 12 hours in the day. Why are you so worried? Why are you so concerned about that? You see, in light of the power of the resurrection of Christ, there's no need to be fearful. He goes on 
He's here for the fearful. He's here for the carnal. Those who are not able to see spiritual things when the disciples say to the Lord, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll heal himself. And the Lord says to them, you, not, you don't get it. No, no spiritual mindset. And they, he corrects them and says, Lazarus is dead. He's come for the carnal-minded. He's come for the desperate. Thomas says, Lord, let us go and die with him, right? Many of us are like that, what, what we would call that fatalism, right? Lord, let us go and die with our friend Lazarus. Fatalistic, desperate, the doubting, doubting Thomas, doubting there, the religious crowd, having all of the religious answers. Lord, we know he'll rise up in the resurrection, having all of the theological things down, everything down. Listen to me. Those same people need Jesus. Some of the greatest enemies of Christ in the Word of God were religious people. Refusing to accept the power of Christ. The religious crowd. The logical crowd. Lord, he's dead and he stinks. Yeah, get that. You want them to raise up, right? Open the tomb. Don't we often have logical answers for the Lord of why we don't do what he tells us to do? Well, Lord, that's not very logical. He's been dead for four days. He stinks. I mean, it's almost like they just forgot three hours ago when he said he will rise again. The Lord can reach those people too, can't he? And then lastly, the dead. Lazarus was dead, and the Lord reached the dead. He's the furthest gone. I think we would all agree that there wasn't much hope for Lazarus in this situation. We might say that there was hope for the logical one, might say there's a little bit hope for the religious one, but there's not much hope for the dead one. What is the Lord saying to us? The Lord is saying to, the, to us this, there is no reach that Jesus Christ can't reach. There's no extent that he can't go to to bring you to himself. There isn't any Thing, <clears throat> there is nothing more powerful than the resurrection of Christ, and there is nothing more hopeful than the promise of his resurrection. So we see that Jesus Christ's reach is great. He reached down to us from heaven to earth, from perfect perfection to imperfection, from righteous to the unrighteous, and he saved us. His reach is great. Who is the resurrection story about? Number three, who is the resurrection story about? Not about Lazarus. It's for the people, but it's not about the people. The resurrection story is about one person, and he's mentioned in verse number 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This is who the story is about. The story in John 11 is about Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. This simply stated means this, that Jesus Christ's very essence is that he is the giver of life. It is his very makeup. You can't separate him from being the one who gives life. We can't understand that. We can't comprehend that. We depend on outside things every day for us to breathe. We're breathing right now, but we're breathing someone else's air. It's not ours. We eat food that sustains us. We're not, eating our, we're not creating it in our own bodies. We have to eat it from the outside in. What the Bible is saying here about Jesus Christ is that it was His very essence to bring about life and resurrection. 
He needed no help from the outside. It all came directly from the inside. John 1 says that he is the light and he is the life. You're familiar with John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This story is about the power of Christ. When you think of all the times in the book of John that Jesus Christ refers to himself as the I am, which simply means that he is a self-existent. Again, everything comes from within him. Nothing comes from without. He says, I am the light. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is all of these things. And it's interesting that he uses, he uses terms that we can understand so that we get, so where do we get our bread from? Think about this for a moment. Jesus Christ is bread. Where do we get our bread from? Are we bread? We get our bread from an outside source, don't we? Jesus Christ is water. Where do we get our water from? We get our water from an outside source, right? Jesus Christ is breath, life, light. Where do we get our breath, light, and life from? from an outside source. What Jesus Christ wants us to know is everything that we need, He is. Everything that we need, He is. Not everything that we need, He gives. Everything that we need, He is. And therefore, you must have Him to have everything that you need. This story is about the greatness of our God. It's about Him existing. It's about Him living. It's about Him being, being able to give to us all that we need because He is the source of all of these things. The resurrection and the life are in Him. John 10, verse 18, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is speaking here and He says that He laid down His life. He says, no one took it from me. I laid it down of myself. And then He says this, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it back again. Do you know what that means for you? He has the power to take your life back too. This is about Jesus. The last thought this morning is, what is the resurrection story meant to accomplish? Why did Jesus Christ decide to give us this narrative to go to this small town with these insignificant people, why did Jesus Christ decide to do that and to put it in the Bible so that we would have it thousands of years later? I believe this is the answer to the question, so that we might believe. It's why this is here. It's why it's written in such strong, emphatic ways so that we might know this is not a theory it's not a story like you read to your children. This is a historical fact. Jesus Christ raised a real man named Lazarus from the grave so that you would know that he could raise you from the grave. And I'm not even talking about when you die physically. I'm talking about when you die to yourself and become a believer in Christ. He can make you new. He tells us this so that we might believe. And why does he want us to believe? I believe this. I believe that everything that God has given us in his word is not only, is not only beneficial to us, but it's good for us. 
I believe that he actually, I believe that God actually wants good for us. I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm out on a limb, right? I believe that God actually wants good for us. So why does he tell us this story? Why does he want us to believe this? I believe this. I'm going to just give you a few thoughts and close. Number one, it brings hope to the hopeless. This story brings Mary great hope. And anybody who is in dark sin right now, anybody who is in here who is walking away from God, who is walking in the depths of despair and sin and, 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 and whatever defilement that you would walk in, listen to me, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. And that hope is that Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead and he will raise you from the dead. There is hope for the hopeless. There is purpose this morning for those who are worried. Those who can't figure out your problems and can't figure out your circumstances, can't figure out what you're going through when you're trying to make heads and tails out of it. Listen to me. There's a purpose for what you're going through right now. If you're worried this morning, there's a purpose for it. There's a purpose for what's causing you to worry. If you just place your focus on the glory of God, your worries will dissipate because God is bigger than them. It brings confidence to the fearful. It brings light to the carnal. Carnal. It brings relief to the desperate. It brings assurance to the doubting. Faith brings truth to the religious. Faith brings obedient to the, obedience to the logical. And faith brings life to those who are dead. In closing, please remember the following. The resurrection, of, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ matters to people who have faced, are facing, or simply understand what it means to die and also what it means after we die. The reach of the Lord's resurrection power is unquestionably great. He reaches from heaven to earth. He reached from heaven to earth to save me. He reached from perfection to absolute imperfection to save me. He reached from glory, riches, and power to the slums of sin, spiritual spiritual depravity and powerlessness to save me. He reached, his reach is unlimited and unhindered by any of our frailties. His power to resurrect is simply his makeup. He does it to display who he is. Jesus Christ raises dead people to life spiritually because he wants you to know who he is. And then he says this, he tells us all this that we might believe. These things are built around something that is invisible and built around something that is impossible. And therefore, it takes faith to believe it. You say, well, Pastor John, I can't believe something that I can't see. Well, you will see it one day. You will see it all one day. It will all come to life it's almost like I, I illustrated it recently when, in our study through the book of Revelation in our group, the, the movie, it's Jumanji, right? You've seen the movie Jumanji. Uh, they play the little game and it just starts to come to life. And that's what it's going to be. All the things that have been told to us in the word of God, when we get to heaven, God's going to open up his word and it's all going to be alive. And everything that he has said to us is going to come to fruition. It's not just going to be words on a page anymore. Now we're going to be dealing with the one who creates all things. He is the judge of all the earth. You must believe. The gospel is built around faith in the invisible and the impossible.
Stop trying to make it visible and possible because then it's not faith. It must be invisible and it must be impossible because it's God. When we can, when we can explain everything that God does, folks, we are Him and we will never be Him. That is how great He is. We must trust. We must depend. We must lean on Him for eternal life. I close with John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son, the Bible says, whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. Whoever does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the wealth, spiritual wealth that is there, packaged into 66 books that are full of life, full of hope, full of wisdom, full of truth. God, help us to just embrace it. Some of the things that we can't understand, help us to, to believe, to have faith. And then, Lord, follow you in those moments. In the same way that Martha was told to open the tomb, it's, it stinks, Lord. If you want to see the glory of God in the resurrection of Lazarus, open the tomb. God, help us. Help us to have enough faith to believe, to act, knowing that greater faith is to come. I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you personally, God, please open their hearts by your resurrection power and make new life in them. I pray for all of us that not a one of us would leave here the same today, that we would all wake away, walk away changed because this is a special day to reflect on your resurrection in us. Please help us, Lord. Thank you so much.